0: idea that I had never heard before. It was something brand new to my, to my attention, and uh, yeah. Oh, if you're a small child, you can follow the leader, Stephanie Durga. Uh, please don't follow Sarah. She's still sitting in her spot, though she would love to be surrounded by small children. Um, <laughs> that eye roll, that was, oh, goodness, Um, so, uh, uh, as I was researching this particular message, where'd my timer go? I got to use that too. Um, as I was researching this particular message, I, we're going to be looking at continuing the story of Jacob. We're going to be going into this story of the, the vision with the ladder. And actually most scholars, uh, agree that it's almost certainly not like best interpreted as ladder, but as staircase. And so the, the text is about a stairway to heaven. And I, I was looking at that. Oh wow, that'd be a fun way to approach a sermon. And I was gonna, I was like, you know, well, I'll get whoever's doing worship to, to play Stairway to Heaven during the offering. And and then I, I realized it was Adam, and I was like, oh man, Adam's not gonna play Stairway to, which is a loving teasing. It is not me making fun of him. I just immediately knew that, like, I think TJ is probably the only guy I could have gotten to try and pick it up in the last minute like that. So. Uh, <laughs> let's uh let's pray and dive into the message and, and in advance of that I'll tell you there will be no stairway to heaven uh, illustration so uh no stairway denied um for those of you who are Xers. heavenly father i pray you would be with us today i pray that you would um pray that you would help us to hear from you help us to know you more by hearing the gospel by by um digging into your word and 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 looking at at how you fulfilled promises, how you're with us when we're when we're uh, in the place we should be and when we've wandered off, um, help us to remember we cannot outrun your grace, that we cannot outrun your mercy or your your watchful eye over us. Um, I praise you, heavenly Father, for being such an awesome and wonderful god and i I ask that you excuse me, I ask that you would give us give us wisdom beyond what we actually have like beyond beyond ourselves, and I I ask that we would know you more by hearing the word preached. um, Draw into our hearts uh, and help us to be like Christ. Amen. Start. So, uh, trying to decide what to talk about today, I I decided um, actually that I would go a different route. Um, I'm going to start in the Gospel of John. I'm not going to have a funny story. That was my funny no stairway to heaven today. That was it. Everything else is serious. No more jokes um this is uh john chapter one um and this is like uh so john kind of jumps over the birth narrative with this huge like kind of neat greek uh explanation of of the word and the word was made flesh and all that and it's a really cool like sort of hellenistic jew perspective on the whole thing uh jewish perspective on the whole thing but like we're going to go a little ahead because he, then he goes right, and starts at the baptism. And Jesus starts gathering disciples after having been baptized. And uh, we're picking up John chapter 1, if you've got a Bible in front of you. Um, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, N- Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Apparently, by the way, most scholars agree that that was a saying. Everybody knew it. Like, it was a, you know, it was a, a, a well-known joke, making fun of Nazareth, which is like West Virginia or Loma or whatever, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, all right, can anything come out, uh, good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than this. And then he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Read that last line again. You will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this weird little story does not get a lot of press in the New Testament. And in fact, actually is more or less that's it. Got it? But Jesus has kindly given us the answer key. Do you ever, um, I had teachers sometimes in school who would give us the answers before a test, but we couldn't use them in the test. And so you had to memorize the answers in order to, uh, like you know, and it, it was a gimme. It was like the stupid easy version of the test, and I would fail anyway. Um, and unfortunately, that's about eighty percent of people who read this story. So follow me here. We're going to dive in, um, and and I got to give you a little background. So this is uh, the title of the sermon this week. We're in John, or excuse me, Genesis chapter twenty-eight. Uh, God's parting message to Jacob uh, for Jacob heading into exile. Now. Background, uh, we've been talking about sojourners. Sojourners are anyone who lives in a place that is not their home, a foreign land. In the ancient world, they had no rights. They could not own property, all kinds of negatives. Um, but it is a recurring theme in the scriptures where all of the uh, forefathers, all of the, the patriarchs were sojourners. They all lived in a land that wasn't their own, that God promised would be theirs, but they never received. And there's a whole lot of weight to that, okay, um, which I can't get into now. Sorry. Um, but this is an important theme, and it plays out throughout the Scripture, where we find people who are called by God, following God, but living somewhere that is not their home. Now, it starts with Abraham, who's told to go from Haran, leave your home in Haran, and go on over there, and I'm going to tell you where you're going to go, and you're going to sojourn there. And essentially, like, like he gets a son And he's going to be the father of great nations and all kinds of other stuff. The whole world would be blessed through his descendant. God made all of these promises. And then Abraham hangs out for a really long time, um, decades, before he finally has one son. And then he died, having not even a grave to be buried in, in the land that God promised him. And not grains of sand on the beach or any of that other stuff. He had the son and God's promise. Now, after Abraham, his son Isaac more or less follows a similar path, um, and Isaac only has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob and Esau um, were born fighting. Everybody who's got more than one kid, boys, right? I'm assuming, uh, well, Marla isn't in here, and Jim's still awake. Do your boys fight? Uh, oh, there there you are. Bond Millers. Did the Bond Miller boys fight? Did they fight more than they were, like, nice to each other? Probably about as much as they ate. Um, <laughs> but not oatmeal. Uh, so these boys are born fighting. Esau is born first. Jacob is born second. And Jacob is given the name Heel because he's right on his brother's heel. Right? And he is, like, the name also sort of brings the idea that he's a liar and a manipulator and guess what he straight up was like Jacob was an overtly manipulative and dishonest man. Um, his brother Esau was not perfect by any stretch, but Jacob is the focus of our, of our, um, yesterday, last week's message and this week's. and, And here's the deal. He's just not the good guy. Um, he at his birth or before his birth, it's prophesied that he would be the one who overcomes, and that he would be the one that the promise follows. Everybody with me? There's a good reason for that, but I'm not going to talk about it this week. Um, He is promised by God that he will receive it, but he doesn't actually care, but he wants it. And so he manipulates his brother and manipulates his father. And in last week's sermon, we looked at how he stole the birthright from his brother and like stole, stole this blessing from his brother, and he's promised everything. He becomes the next in line. The second son becomes the first in line. And you know what? I am going to give you a one-minute excursion here to explain it. Why? Why does over and over again in the Bible you see where the first son is overlooked and the second son receives the promise or the blessing or whatever. Um, If we look at what Paul says about sons in the book of Romans, the first son is Adam. And the second Adam is Jesus. Adam had everything. Adam gave it up in the name of sin Christ comes along and fixes it for all of humanity and so the first son fails the second son picks it up and so Jacob is actually standing right in the place of Christ he was going to get it anyway but how did he get it? he lied because it's not really his effort it's not our effort it's not my effort none of us are righteous in, before God by working hard and being perfect and never making mistakes it's just not the case um, so, Jacob has stolen this blessing, this birthright, and he is about to go and run away. Everybody with me? He is, he is taking off. Why? Because Esau is going to murder him, um, which is a good reason to leave. Um, his mother tells him, Go off to Haran. It's a name that might be a little familiar, but go off to Haran, and I want you to hide out there. And the implication is, for a few days, he's gone for 20 years. Um, He goes actually to Abraham's homeland. That's actually his linear homeland. But he gets there, and it's not his homeland. He's now a sojourner in his own home. Isn't that crazy? Having left a place that God promised him that they hadn't received yet that was also not his home. He was homeless. Um, But I think it was uh, Rich Mullins in one of his songs, uh, he says that uh, um, I'm home anywhere if you are where I am. And that's basically what God is about to tell him. If I'm with you, you're fine. Um, So he's about to run off. We're going to pick it up in 2720. Um, Oh, actually, 2720 is jumping backward. When, and I missed this last week, and I want to touch on it, when Jacob lies to his father, his father thinks that he's Esau, and Esau has gone out to hunt, and he comes back really fast because he's not back. It's Jacob. And Isaac's like, Jacob, how would you get back so fast? And he's like, oh, Well, I got something right away because the Lord, your God, blessed me. That's a big thing, and it's easy to miss. I went right over it. The Lord, your God, not my God, not our God, your God. Why? Because Jacob doesn't care about God. Jacob cares about Jacob, right? And Jacob is going to get what he wants. He doesn't think God's going to give him anything, so he takes it. Um, And God, you know what? works in his stupidity it is amazing how god will work in our stupidity so he lies doesn't care about blaspheming doesn't care about like god acknowledges it's not my god and his character is revealed and we're going to see more of that as this text comes out he's off running for his life and he's still going to be manipulating so one to nine Isaac comes along and says yeah Jacob dude run away your brother's going to murder you but don't marry anybody from this land. Go back to Haran and marry somebody who is in our tribe. Like I don't, I don't want you to marry here. It's important in the middle. After that, Esau marries somebody local, defying his father's wishes because um, because of a lot of reasons. Basically, it demonstrates that Esau's children were never going to be in the lineage because he didn't care what God had for him either. Isaac was not like did not raise great godly kids. Um, so, uh, we're going to pick up Genesis chapter eight, which I got to get to here. I did not bookmark it. So you got an extra 45 seconds while I go to the index and find out where Genesis is. Thank you for laughing at that. move that lower. If I, if you can't hear me, I breathe into it. It makes me crazy. Uh, all right. 28 and we're going to pick up in 10, um, now, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Um, now, we're going to pause there. Jacob had left Beersheba and he went toward Haran. Now, city names are important. Everybody with me? Beersheba is the place where Isaac stopped. He was getting chased out of the land because he was too rich And he's backing up and backing up and backing up. And he gets to Beersheba and he says, all right, they're not chasing us off. They found a well there. He says, this is spacious. This is our place where we have space and nobody's going to run us off. So he leaves from the point that his father had been run off to and he runs further. He runs all the way back to where Abraham came from, right? This is not a long, I mean, a long run. Like he actually comes into where part of where the kingdom of Babylon is and, uh, There's some argument that these are Babylonian uh, tribes that he's, like, jumping back into, um, not followers of Yahweh. Like, they're very pagan, uh, and we'll get to that a little more in depth here. Um, And so he is returning home, but he's still a sojourner because once God gets a hold of your life, this world ain't going to have home for you. You with me? We are sojourners if we are in Christ. Our home is in eternity. Our home is in heaven. Christ is preparing a room for us there. We are passing through this world. Um, we may think that we can gather up things in this world, like things that, that, that will make us happy, and they'll bring us higher and higher up a stairway toward heaven, but that's not how it works. I said I wouldn't. Um, now, Jacob is going back. Um, Mesopotamia is this pagan land, and we'll get into that in a minute. All right, so 11 and 12, by the way, husbands and wives, pay very close attention to this because there's an important idea here. Um, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid in that place to sleep. I'm going pause here. People slept on the ground a lot back then, and so the idea of sleeping on something hard is like acceptable. Like, it was a more common thing people would use. And actually, the ancient world up until not that long ago, people used hard surfaces as pillows. Kind of crazy, right? But if you are married to somebody who wants a firm bed, let them have it because it's biblical. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's not. That's not real. I just said that. Um, they also perceived dreams in the ancient world as a method that God spoke to them. Okay? Big deal here. Big deal because God is about to speak to them through a dream. Um, so he lays down, puts a rock under his head and falls asleep anyway. And he dreamt and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, now we'll get to what he said in a minute. We're going to stick with, uh, uh, 11 and 12 here. Cause this is actually, there's a lot here. It's kind of fun. Um, so, the word there, ladder, is salam, salam. I'm almost certainly mispronouncing it. I do not speak Hebrew. Um, but it could have multiple meanings. It could mean ladder. It could mean staircase. Um, for a long time, it was translated, and it's traditionally translated as ladder, because two books, one is the LXX, which means 70. Is that just 70? Seven? Yeah, 70 in uh, the Roman numerals for 70, that was the Jewish translation of the Old Testament into Greek. It was done much later, and they translated it with a word that was the equivalent to latter. And so a lot of scholars go in that direction, say ladder. Um, the other reason, and actually I think there's a reason that the Jewish scholars did that, and we'll explain in a minute. Um, the Vulgate, which was translated, it's the Bible translated into Latin by St. Jerome. It's a much later translation, and he rendered it ladder um, probably because the LXX did honestly um, but those two are guiding points for translation and they followed it but the reason I would argue that it's probably staircase instead of ladder is because staircase for the carries a connotation and not a great one now I'll show you some pictures uh, the place he's going by the way Haran um, and this story has some parallels. First off, this is a ladder or staircase. We're going to say staircase, going up to heaven, going up to the place where God lives. And, um, there are instances of this, right? Uh, anybody know what the first picture is? Tower of Babel. It's an artist's rendition, not a photograph. <laughs> I was going to ask Craig to get me a picture from his collection, but I didn't have time. Uh, <laughs> um, what was the purpose of the Tower of Babel? We will build a tower that will reach the heavens. And so, like, that was the way they were going to go and reach up to God and make a name for themselves by forcing God to pay attention to them because they could build a tower, stairwell, all the way up to God. And God's like, yeah, you ain't doing that. Like, you guys are nuts. And he scattered the scattered the creation. This is an actual, it's called a ziggurat. Um, this is a, uh, uh, from the Bible, like Iran, modern Iran, let's say that, which is roughly where he's going. This is a standard version of an ancient temple and it is stepped. If you'll notice why, because they believed that God was on high and to pray effectively was to go on high. And this is all over the ancient world. Actually, um, I read a great study, did a fun sermon on it, like, Years ago at family camp, and I don't think it's posted anywhere, so sorry. Um, but the book of Matthew is loaded with these weird instances where God meets people on mountaintops because they believed mountains are where God was. You'd go up on a mountain to be close to God. And the point was Jesus is the way to be close to God. Um, in this instance, the Babylonians, these pagans, they believed I can build stairwells in my temple and it will draw me closer to God. And in fact, actually, I did not bring my laser pointer up. I forgot it. Uh, You can hardly see it right here. Um, This is Petra. You all are vaguely aware. The the Holy Grail was hidden there for a while. Uh, And these are tombs. And one of the things, uh, you can't see it that well in this picture. These two, like over the course of centuries, um, this city was carved into the rock as a giant graveyard. And you can see different art styles as they go because the art changed and the religion changed. These two here have stairwells. Do you see them? Or is it too small? They have stairwells because they believed that to reach God, you would ascend stairs. And actually, I have a better one. Um, You can see at the top and sort of the side view. And these stairwells are all over Iran, ancient Iran, in their religious symbolism. Nope. Um, In their religious symbolism in their um, like in their buildings and everything because they would think in order to get close to God you would climb you would go up and so the stairwell thing an ancient Jew would look at that and say well we're not going to translate that stairwell because it sounds too much like worshipers of Baal right and i think that's probably the reason it gets softened in the LXX but i actually think that's the reason it is stairwell in the bible why mm. So follow me here. Um, Jacob has never been in Iran. He's never been amongst these people. He's never seen these designs, but he's about to be surrounded by them. So he doesn't have a frame of reference. He wouldn't have, like like some people would say, oh, well, this is because of the pagan thing. And, you know, it's really just an homage to paganism. It's not. It is God setting up a reminder That is going to be in the world around him constantly. So that every time he looks around, he says, oh yeah, these people think they're getting to God, but they're not. I saw the stairwell. I saw the sign and it like, it it was, I stopped. I'm trying not to finish the sentence. (laughs) It opened up my eyes and I saw that this is a place where God's, but it wasn't the place. It wasn't the place at all. It was a reminder That, like, when he looks at these well, look, God has his own entrance to heaven. God has his own setup. And when he's surrounded by pagans, he can always go back to this vision. Now, that actually isn't a bad practice because we live in a world where we are surrounded by garbage. And we are surrounded by craziness and bad teaching and bad values and bad ideas and all kinds of other nonsense that we as believers don't need to incorporate into ourselves. And as we put things in our lives... Um, to remind us of Christ, to draw us back to the truth, um, it, it serves as a reminder. And so, as we, like, like, I'm thinking, Jacob would be there amongst the Chaldeans, amongst the, the pagans, and he would look and he'd say, Oh, yeah, stairway. Oh, yeah, my God is in control. The other thing that is likely going on here, actually, I think those are in slides after. Let me get the rest of my. There's a typology here. And Jesus shows us. What did he say? He said, Nathanael... You'll see the heaven opened up and the angels ascending and descending on me. So there's this uh, Presbyterian uh, gospel tract from like the 1800s, the four spiritual laws. And the idea is that all men are sinful. Right? We're born infected with sin. God desires a relationship with us. But because of sin, there's a gap. That exists between us and God and we can never jump over that gap we can never climb the mountain high enough to reach God You know, we can build the tallest tower in the world. We can pile up money for ourselves We can, you know, try and earn our way to heaven by by giving away and serving and everything else But you can never Reach him that way. It is only because christ himself God came as one of us. He dies on the cross, takes punishment for our sins. We are seen as righteous where he was seen according to our sins. And then Christ becomes the ladder through which we can reach heaven. You can't build a tower. You can't build an empire. You can't build a reputation. You can't build a big enough family. You can't do anything. Christ is, is, is the only way. And to a degree, what is happening here is Jacob is being sort of preached a weird proto-gospel, like a before-the-gospel gospel. gospel. We talked about that where Abraham um, believed God's promise and it was credited to him as righteousness because essentially he believed in Jesus before Jesus. And Jacob is here and he's being shown there's a way and you ain't doing it yourself. Um, There's a lot of other symbolism there. I can't do all of it today, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm already at 22 minutes and... Uh, I know nobody cares how long it is, but dinner is going to get cold. Um, so we're going to jump to 13 to 15. Where'd my Bible go? Right in front of you, Eric. Uh, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord your God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Which, by the way, is a funny contrast to your God. Because now, having stolen the birthright, He's next in line. He's the recipient of the promise that Abraham got and the promise that Isaac got. And he's actually about to receive the promise from God directly. Um, Oh, I lost my spot. Shouldn't have talked. Um, And the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall the families of the earth be blessed. Um, By the way, your offspring is that. It's not plural. That is a singular sentence. Why? Because the offspring is Jesus. This is the promise of Christ before Christ um and so he's look you're going to be blessed through all of this he's repeating the stuff he told and he says behold i am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for i will not leave you until i have done what i have promised you um and so we're going to pause there for a minute uh this is of course the first time god audibly speaks to jacob who is the liar, the conniver, the manipulator, and God has come. He is in the promise line, can't do anything about it. And so he is there. Um, by the way, there's kind of a little subtle thing. Angels in the ancient um, understanding were like they were messengers and guides. But like in angels or guides, you know, like the angels aren't talking to him. God's talking to him. God is talking to him directly. Why? Because Because he's the son of the promise. There's no distance between them. Um, Does he know it? Does he really believe? Is he trusting God? I don't think so, and I'll explain why in a minute. Um, However, uh, there's also a suggestion amongst the ancient Jews, like the rabbis, argued that the angels are going with him. And so he's being assured, don't worry, you got to back up, um, is sort of the idea. I don't know. I'm just sharing it because it actually sort of makes sense. He's promising him. You're going somewhere that isn't your home, but I'm going with you. And I'm sending people with you, and I'm taking you back home when it's all over. Everybody with me? That's a great promise, isn't it? Anybody ever end up somewhere they didn't want to be, and you just wish you knew that God was going to drag you back when it was all over? <laughs> Anybody there now? Um, moving right along. Uh, ah. um, so Jacob's response here, this is 16 to 22. And this is funny. Because this is Jacob, it is who he is. He has heard god 's voice, he is the son of the promise, he is in the lineage he He is there, everything is clicking for him, and the dude just can 't stop being himself. he can 't stop getting in his own way. Um, so what he says uh, twenty nine or twenty eight sixteen sorry i 'm really together today. Um, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, surely God is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate to heaven. Um, first off, he didn't get it. Everybody with me? Like, God speaks to him pretty directly. He sees this vision. He just doesn't understand, and nobody understands. I'm guessing Nathaniel didn't get it at the time when Jesus told him, I'm the latter. On the stairwell. You're only getting to heaven through me. So um, this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. um, But the name of the city was Luz at, at the first. When Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go... And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I can come to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. Does he say, this is the Lord my God? He say, you got it, God. We're on the same team now. Thanks for the promise. I stole. Nope. He says, I'll tell you what, God. You take care of me. You give me clothes. You give me stuff. You help me come home in the end. Then you're my God. What the... That's like the most manipulative jerk thing he could possibly say, right? He's like, I'll tell you what, God, here's the deal. I know you said, but if you do what I say, I will do what you want. By the way, I love this kind of thing because it sounds an awful lot like, if you bow to me just this once, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. If you bow to me just this once, God, I will give you my life. Um, Because Jacob doesn't get it. But... What's cool about that is we don't have to be right and good and perfect to come to Christ. We are changed through the Holy Spirit, sometimes over the course of a long time. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes we wake up in the morning like, like decades in and you realize, oh, wow, I missed this. How could I have missed this area in my life? And you start, like, giving it up to the Holy Spirit and crucifying your old man. Like, this is who we are and who we're called to be, and Jacob is no different. And it's actually pretty great because Jacob's a good guy. He's considered a hero in the Scriptures. And so if he's a hero in the Scriptures, then maybe there's hope for me. Um, so he says, God, I'll make a deal with you. Even though you promise these things to me, if you do this, then you can be my God. Until then, you're still your God. Um. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth, uh, give a full tenth to you. And so he's making deals. I'll bribe you, God, and I'll do this and I'll do that. And God's like, I just gave you everything. What are you doing? <laughs> he doesn't understand because in his flesh he's blind. And all of us are blind in our flesh, and it takes us time sometimes to get there. So he sees this as an advantage, and he almost certainly went into the land of the Chaldeans and all these other guys. And he saw their ladders and he's like, Nope, I got the stairway to heaven back there. And he doesn't understand that the promise was the stairway. Christ is the stairway. Like he can't see any of that, but he couldn't see it even if he wanted to, because he is blind. Um, and so Jacob goes into exile exactly who he was to start off. Um, first off, like, let's do a little application here. Cause we're running long, or no, we're not running long. We're right in there. Um, What does this have to do with us? First off, um, understand if you are in God's promise, if you are in Christ, you cannot, you cannot outrun him. You may think you can. You may think you can go all the way across the country or go to the moon or do whatever. I can pretend you're not there, but all you're doing is you're playing like a little kid. Your kids ever do that? I can't see you. You're not there. Right? Ain't changing nothing. I can't hear you so I won't hear that I'm about to get a spanking, right? Like, nope, (laughs) it ain't changing nothing. You cannot outrun God. Um, Actually, David said in the Psalms, even if I make my my bed in hell, he will come and get me when the time arises. You cannot outrun God. He goes with you if you are a child of his promise. If you belong to him, you may wander, you may get lost, you may be the prodigal son, you may be the lost sheep. Christ does not abandon you. He goes with you. Um, second big application point is Christ is the only way to God that is it you will not you know born of the right family born in the right place have the right amount of money do the right things make the right moves say the right things all of it nothing nothing will get you to heaven apart from Christ who is the only way the only way he said it right I'm the way the truth and the life And so, and why don't, why am I saying that? Eric, you say that an awful lot because this is who we are. This is what we are. If we do not remember it, if we do not live by it, we're lost. That's it. Um, I'm going to point out the story that is about to unfold is the story of the prodigal son in the Old Testament. Jacob's running away. Why? Because he stole from the family and is going to get murdered. He needs to escape and run away. And... In this version of the story, he gets everything, and he still has to run for his life in the end. And he ends up in a spot where he's like, oh, my gosh, I got, you know, this behind me and this in front of me. I am out of choices now. What am I going to do? And then he comes face to face with God, and life changes. We'll get to that another week. Um, he is in Bethel, and he has nothing except the promise. The prodigal son took his inheritance with him, right, and thought he would keep it, thought he would enjoy it, thought it would make his life great. But until he's in relationship with his father, nothing is right. And so it is for us, so it is for anybody. If you're a person who believes you can live in the world and escape God's hand, escape his vision and be okay, that you can take that promise in Christ and run off, don't worry, he'll wait for you to end up in the pig pen, and then you'll come home and he'll meet you right at the door, right? He'll call you home. Sometimes he'll push you in the mud to get you to the point where you're ready to come home because Christ's mercy, like, you have, like Christ's mercy is astonishing. And when I was an enemy of God, Christ died for me, and I am in Christ, and even if I become an enemy of God again, he died for me. Um, Eighteen years ago this last week, I, I uh, woke up, At two in the morning three in the morning i don't remember it's a long time ago and i was really hung over i had this weight on me i was had been falling away from my faith for a long time but was still working in ministry and i was about to start the chaplain job at the home and i had this huge weight on me and i laid in bed and cried and begged god to fix me and bring me back just draw me back to you lord i don't want anything in the world but you i'll lose work i'll lose my family i'll lose everything just help bring me back to jesus that was my in-the-mud moment, and he brought me back. And in the same way, Jacob is brought back. In the same way, the prodigal son is brought back. By the way, again, 18 years ago this last week, which is a 18 or 19? 18, 19. It was 19. 19 years ago. I'm almost at 20, which is very exciting. Um, it was 19 years ago this last week. Um, Why am I sharing that? Because you cannot outrun God's grace. If you are the lost son, you're still the son and he still loves you. If you're the lost sheep, he's looking for you. If you are in a place where your sin has you captured, where you're stuck in pornography or or bitterness or indulging in the flesh or finances or whatever, understand you do not have to be perfect to be right with Christ. You only have to come... Confess your sins and be forgiven faith in Christ is sufficient to be saved and God loves you exactly the way you are But way too much to leave you that way Which is an awesome thing that is the story of jacob that's coming up the prodigal son The lost son who is broken and comes back and encounters god face to face um in the end God saves us and then sanctifies us and oftentimes that is a difficult process. What is about to happen in Jacob's life is difficult. Those of us who find ourselves in bad spots. Anybody ever, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to be sad. Like I'm bad at mourning. It's a hard thing. And I look and I say, man, there's been a bad enough year, God. Why did this happen? And then I back up and like, I study a text like this. And I realize sometimes you end up sojourning. Sometimes you end up away from home because this is where God is sending you. So you can learn to trust him encounters with God often hurt and I would rather come back limping And closer to jesus than anything else My challenge to you this week and as we're going to go into this next few sermons If you're far from god All you ever have to do is come home He's waiting at the gate for you. He's been out looking for you most days All you have to do is is confess your sins talk to one of us I'll, I'll walk you through it. I'll, I'll walk with you in the process of coming home. The whole thing. We're there for you. But hurt happens for a reason. And oftentimes hurt happens to draw us close to him like, or to teach us. Sometimes hurt happens because we're dumb and we make bad choices. And God lets us so that he can teach us. Sometimes he does it so we can learn grace. Sometimes he does it so we can learn what Christ endured for our forgiveness. And you get to learn what Christ went through. And you get to be closer to Jesus through it. All of it is 110% worth it. But none of it's fun. And so that will be the next few weeks. Everybody looking forward to sojourning and suffering. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless our meal today and our meeting. Uh, and and the rest of our day, Lord. I pray that you would help us to fellowship. Help us to be loving like Christ. Help us to be the body of Christ together in fellowship and in enjoyment. And, and Lord God, I know... Uh, Man, there are rough days in the world of of ministry, and I uh, I know that the days coming up are the days that are yours. And I know that if we're walking with you, we're going where you want us to go. And I pray, Lord God, that as we do our meeting, as we pray together, as we act like the body of Christ, loving each other, serving each other, and searching for your direction, that you would give us wisdom and faith that we don't try to make bargains to come home, or to get where you're sending us, but rather that we would trust that your promises are good and true and that we just need to walk in your way. In Christ's name, amen. All right, go eat lunch. Oh, should I pray for lunch right now so we're done?